Welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm John Tanza in Washington, working on this program very remote. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan. This Wednesday, August 31st, 2022. The UN mission in South Sudan is calling on the newly graduated unified forces to prevent intercommunal violence in the country. With the disciplines we have shown in the training centers, I'm confident that the country and our people will be and as South Sudanese legal expert says, the newly graduated unified forces will do very little to change the security situation in the country. Despite the stories which are, were being, being said and all these things, we are now ready to, 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 to pay all the civil servants, not only that, but we are even increasing their salaries. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. The United Nations mission in South Sudan has welcomed Tuesday's graduation of the Unified Forces in Juba. More than 20,000 members of the Unified Forces who graduated will be deployed to the National Army, Police, National Security Service, among other security organs. For VOA News, Deng Deng reports from Bor. On Ms. Spokesperson Linda Tom says the UN mission expects the graduated forces to play a critical role in meeting security and logistical needs necessary for legitimate and credible elections as provided for in the revitalized peace agreement. Tom says the UN also expects their forces to help the government protect its citizens by curtailing subnational and intercommunal violence. The mission congratulates the parties and the transitional government for reaching this critical step, which is a notable political and security development. It is critically important to have a unified and inclusive defense apparatus that is open to all South Sudanese, especially in a country recovering from divisive conflict that today's event should constitute more than a symbolic act and could be an active contributor to national peace. Tom says the UN also expect the unified forces to demonstrate South Sudan's respect for human rights by enhancing accountability. It is a cornerstone upon which further meaningful steps can now be taken, including a broader security sector transformation process, nation building, and sustainable development. This graduation will strengthen the capacity of the transitional government to protect its own citizens by curtailing subnational and intercommunal violence and demonstrates South Sudan's respect for human rights by enhancing accountability and also guarantee the territorial integrity of the country. In this way, the National Unified Forces could also play an indispensable role in building democracy. Tom says the UN mission encourages the transitional government to recognize the graduation of unified forces is not the end of a process, but a new beginning. Tom says it will be necessary to ensure adequate support to fund, equip, deploy and sustain the forces over time. UNMIS remains committed to the full implementation of the peace agreement, including training, technical and logistic support together with regional partners and the international community. Under the 2018 peace deal, South Sudan is supposed to train and graduate 83,000 personnel to take charge of security during the ongoing transitional period. 
Tuesday graduation finally took place after several delays, which the government has attributed to financial constraints and a lack of firearms for the unified forces, citing the arms embargo imposed on the country by the United Nations Security Council. Some of the forces graduated without firearms. Earlier this month, the SPLM in government led by President Salfakir and the other signatories of the peace deal, including his deputy SPLM IO leader, Riyag Machar, agreed to a new roadmap, which extends the transitional government by another two years until 2025. For VOA News, I am Dengai Deng in Bor. South Sudan's first vice president, Riek Machar, says the unified forces should lead by example despite challenges they face. Some civil society activists say the Kira administration should increase the salaries of the forces to motivate them to perform better. Diala Elias has details for VOA from Juba. Speaking during the graduation of the necessary unified forces on Tuesday, South Sudan First Vice President Riak Machar said the government is aware of the challenges security organizations face. Machar says the three years that unified forces spent at training centers were harrowing as many lost their lives due to hunger and diseases. But the first vice president says he recognizes the resilience and patience demonstrated by the forces and believed they will protect the people of South Sudan without fear or favor. With the disciplines we have shown in the training centers, I'm confident that the country and our people will be secured and peaceful and a prosperous state shall be realized. Elections, which is the, the end product of the agreement, will be conducted on the 22nd, December 2024, if we go according to the roadmap. I believe South Sudan will have free, fair, democratic elections, and you, are, you will be responsible for ensuring this. Hussein Abdul Bagi, South Sudan Vice President of the Service Cluster, reminded the forces of their duties towards the people of South Sudan. Abdul Bagi says beginning on Tuesday, the unified forces should depart from their affiliation with parties or tribes because they are under one unified commander-in-chief, President Salva Kiir. Under the 2018 peace deal, Abdul Bagi says the parties are expected to engage in the collection of all unauthorized weapons and hand them over to authorities. There is a need to collect an authorized gun for the parties to surrender all weapons in their custody to the unity government. This will allow inaccessible places to become accessible and encouraging businesses free movement and passage everywhere in South Sudan for everybody without fear of insecurity. Edimoniakani, who represented the civil society at yesterday's graduation, welcomed the long-awaited graduation of the unified forces, but said in order for soldiers to perform their duties, the government should increase their salaries. He also urged the unified forces to not allow themselves to be used by politicians or tribes because they are now belong to South Sudan. I'm taking the responsibility to communicate to you that from today, you are not for Wenye, you are not for Viva, you are not for Take Boom, you are for the constitution of the Republic of South Sudan. Take responsibility and show us that when politicians want to run to Bush or they want to jump into the river or they want to fly to the air, don't follow them with this uniform. 
this uniform is for the nation. This uniform is not for tribe. This uniform is not for politicians. This uniform is to protect the flag we see up there. Yakani urged the forces to work hard to track down unidentified gunmen who have been traumatizing communities across the country. As a unified force, go out there, clear unknown gunmen. You must take responsibility to offer us as individuals, as a communities, safety and security. Finally, Your Excellency President of the Sudan, as a chairperson of EGAT, we are asking EGAT to demonstrate our responsibility. We need more transformation with these forces. It's your absolute responsibility as a son of the continent of EGAD. EGAD must show its responsibility that they are standing with us as people of South Sudan. The long-awaited graduation was attended by Ugandan President Yuere Museveni, Sudanese chairperson of the Sovereign Council and the head of EGAD, General Abdul Fattah Al-Burhan, as well as several ambassadors and UN diplomats. For VOA News, I am Viola Elias in Juba. One analyst warns that unless the government caters for the welfare of the newly graduated forces, South Sudanese should not expect improved services. Analyst Philip Anyang says the government should follow through on its commitment to pay salaries of organized forces on time. Wake Simon Wudu has more for VOA from Juba. Analyst Philip Anyang says it is vital that the government change its ways regarding the welfare of its soldiers. He says with the graduation of the unified forces, the government needs to step up its responsibility in providing for the needs of the forces. He says if the government does not act, various empty conflicts in South Sudan may be looked upon as a lucrative business by many. Source of maybe the, the next unknown gunman in town. And then, secondly, uh, they are a threat to the peace of civilians in South because if they don't deploy students or they have not clear plan on deploying them, and then even safety and security in this town may not be dead. Information Minister Michael McQuay tells South Sudan in focus that the graduates are expected to return to their training bases after Tuesday's graduation pending deployment. He also stresses the forces will be paid. Despite the stories which were being being said and all these things, we are now ready to 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 pay all the civil servants. Not only that, but we are even increasing their salaries, and we are employing these people who are graduating now will definitely be paid. Anyang says actions speak louder than words. He says the government now needs to walk the talk if it means business. He describes McQuay's statement on the welfare of the unified forces and civil servants as rhetoric. We assume that the government is using political statements to keep people going, but it's not it. They must come in practical this time, they must come forward and say, yes, this is the money, definitely pay the civil servant here, pay these uh, unified forces. And let's see what happens. Some of the forces yesterday graduated with the sticks, others with the old guns. Marquez says the government could not buy firearms due to the arms embargo imposed by the United Nations Security Council. It is now high time for them to approve the, 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 the purchase of the arms so that they are armed fully because these security forces cannot be security forces if they are not properly armed. 
Jok Madut Jok, another South Sudanese policy analyst and a lecturer of anthropology at the University of Syracuse in New York, says the graduation of forces is a right step in the right direction considering the importance of the security arrangements in the revitalized peace deal. He says the graduation sends a message of hope that the security situation will be stabilized, but warns that unless the government fulfills its responsibility, taking care of its own soldiers, nothing much will change. If the government doesn't uh, arm them and, and, and house them and deploy them in places where they can have uh, a decent uh respectful way of life uh with salaries and and barracks where they can live uh they will not be any different than the current state of affairs with regard to uh south sudan defense forces in general uh, a situation where soldiers have been reduced to beggars uh, on the streets of juba so that their children can eat the Intergovernmental Authority on Development or IGAD Envoy to South Sudan Ismail Ways calls the graduation of the Unified Forces a significant step in the implementation of the peace deal and presents a window of opportunity for the parties to enhance the trust and confidence among themselves and exercise an inclusive spirit in the new life of the agreement. For VN News, Amwaki Simon Wudu in Juba. listening to South Sudan in focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, former Soviet Union leader dies at the age of 91. Stay tuned for his legacy after this break. What do you think? People speak out on important questions. The question today... How influential do you think foreign officials are when it comes to the way your government is run? Well, well, I think they, play, they, they do play a big role in, in whatever decisions are made. Because um, most of the time we, we, we do things to please them more than we should be doing things to, you know, to benefit ourselves. Definitely. I mean, if you, if you look at um, apartheid, all of those, the sanctions and whatnot definitely put pressure on the government to change what it was doing. So I'd say from that perspective, they've got the influence over us. I think they play a greater role in influencing the economy with the, uh, the ties and the, the opportunities that they tend to bring. And, yeah, some bring foreign aids and what. I think they, there's uh, a positivity to it. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Former Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev died at the age of 91. Gorbachev produced extraordinary reforms that ended the Cold War. Ambassador Herman J. Cohen served as U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs under President George H.W. Bush. He tells my colleague James Batty that Gorbachev should be remembered as a leader who played a crucial role in bringing peace to three African countries. President Gorbachev played a major role in bringing peace 
to three African countries that had civil war. That was Angola, Mozambique, and Ethiopia. When he met with President George H.W. Bush in 1990, he said, why don't we work together in bringing peace to these countries? And President Bush agreed. So Gorbachev assigned one of his people to work with me. I was the Assistant Secretary of State for Africa. And we worked in these three countries. We had peace negotiations. And by the end of 1992, all three countries' civil wars ended. So I give President Gorbachev a lot of credit for starting the process of bringing peace to these three countries. And yet, Ambassador, as he passes away, we have a war in Ukraine that is uh, imposing tremendous hardship, not only on Africa, but almost globally. What do you make of that distinction? Well, when he was president of the Soviet Union, even after he left the presidency, he tried to change the political situation in the Soviet Union. He wanted to make it more democratic, but it was impossible. The Communist Party of the Soviet Union was too powerful. And I think that uh, this caused the former President Gorbachev to become very depressed and led to his illness. So his success in Africa was not matched in Russia, I'm afraid. So can we connect democracy in Africa to the role that Gorbachev might have played? I think so, because uh, he he said, uh, yes, we must stop these civil wars because the Soviet Union was supplying money to the Mozambican government and the Russian and the Angolan government, the Ethiopian, in order to pursue war against the rebels. And he decided that this was not a good thing. Instead of fighting rebels, they should negotiate. So I think this was the beginning of democracy coming to Africa. First you end the wars and then you bring democracy. Coincidentally, Angola just had election. How about that? Elections are very good in Angola, but I have the feeling that the government of Angola could not allow itself to be defeated. So I think UNITA, who had observers in every election office, has decided that the election was not free and fair. And I tend to believe UNITA. Ambassador Cohen, in a few words, how do you think Africa should remember the late uh, Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev? He was the first Soviet leader to look to have peace in Africa. All previous leaders wanted to encourage civil wars and use of military. He was the first leader to encourage peace in Africa. That's Ambassador Harmon J. Cohen, former U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs under President George H.W. Bush. He spoke with my colleague James Batty. The first shipment of Ukrainian grain to Africa since Russia's invasion has arrived in Djibouti. The grain will be distributed in Ethiopia to help the drought-stricken nation cope with worsening hunger that threatens to become a famine. Henry Wilkins reports from Addis Ababa. On Tuesday, the UN chartered ship Brave Commander docked to port in the East African country of Djibouti. The ship is the first to carry grain to Africa from Ukraine since Russia invaded the country in February. Mike Dunford, East Africa Regional Director for the UN's World Food Programme, WFP, spoke to reporters at the port. The food on the Brave Commander will feed 1.5 million people for one month in Ethiopia. So this makes a very big impact for those people who currently have nothing and now WFP will be able to provide them 
with their basic needs. A Russian blockade of Ukraine's seaports forced Ukraine to halt nearly all deliveries of grain, which sparked worries of worldwide food crisis. A settlement between Kiev and Moscow that was mediated by the UN and Turkey in July, known as the Black Sea Initiative, saw a resumption in exports of wheat, other foodstuffs and fertilisers from three Black Sea ports at the beginning of August. The WFP said 150,000 tonnes of additional wheat grain from Ukraine will be sent in the coming weeks, thanks to funding provided by the United States. In landlocked Ethiopia, where the grain is now headed, more than 5 million people have been displaced because of conflict. A total of 17 million people are in need of humanitarian assistance as the Horn of Africa endures another year of drought. Dunford says the Black Sea Initiative is a step towards easing the situation. We've already seen a reduction of 15% in wheat prices globally since the Black Sea Initiative commenced. What we want to see is more food flowing. We need, from WFP's perspective, millions of tonnes in this region. In Ethiopia alone, three-quarters of everything that we used to distribute originated from Ukraine and Russia. There are concerns the resumption of exports from Ukraine may not be enough to make a dent in the crisis. Abdullahi Halake is with the Washington-based advocacy group Refugees International. He says the amount of grain arriving to Ethiopia is not enough. Um, When you consider over 20 million people are in humanitarian I need of humanitarian aid and food inflation stands at 40%. Um, So I think this is very important. Humanitarian organisations say parts of Ethiopia's northern Tigray region may be in a state of famine because of the conflict there and a de facto humanitarian blockade imposed by Ethiopia's federal government. Although limited aid was entering the region, renewed fighting between the government and Tigrayan forces that began last week led to the UN announcing Monday that it has suspended aid convoys into the region. Henry Wilkins for VOA News, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. For the third time in his career, Kenya's main opposition leader, Raila Odinga, is challenging presidential election results at the country's Supreme Court. Some critics are mocking the former prime minister for again refusing to accept defeat. But legal experts say Odinga's petition have improved the integrity of Kenya's elections and the stability of its democracy. Juma Majanga reports from Nairobi. The sight of 77-year-old Raila Odinga carrying stacks of his petition challenging the outcome of Kenya's August 9 presidential election to the Supreme Court has gotten mixed reactions on social media. Some critics mocked the veteran politician while others have praised his persistent fight for what he and his supporters see as electoral justice. Paul Mwangi is Raila Odinga's lawyer who has participated in all presidential election petitions. Those who keep criticizing the fact that Raila files petitions uh, are the people who would want to commit wrongs and, and hope that there is no accountability for them. What they want to do is uh, create uh, an atmosphere of impunity where they are never held to account. The quest for electoral fairness in Kenya started three decades ago following the country's first multi-party presidential election in 1992. The late Kenneth Matiba and Mwai Kibaki challenged the elections of President Daniel Moy in 1992 and 1997. Haman Manyora, a professor of political science at the University of Nairobi, 
says the petitions have helped entrench democracy in Kenya. Any of these things must be seen within the context of the struggle for democracy, human rights, and the overall good of the country. The little gains we have made over years have been from uh, things of that nature. So when Matiba goes to court, Kibaki goes to court, you are trying to enhance and extend the frontiers of democracy. After upholding the election of Uhuru Kenyatta in 2013, the Kenyan Supreme Court made history in 2017 by being the first court in Africa to nullify the election of a sitting president after Odinga filed a petition in that case. The court cited election irregularities and ordered a new vote won by incumbent president Uhuru Kenyatta. Now, after a narrow loss in this year's election, Odinga is back at the Supreme Court for the third time in a row. Here again is Paul Mwangi. The biggest thing we would want the court to do is go back to exactly what it did last time and tell them, we told you to change so that you can deliver a credible election. You did not change, yet again you have failed to deliver a credible election. So we are going to do the same thing we did last time, which is that we are going to annul that election. Professor Manyora says challenging the system has long-term benefits. So if you go to court, whether you lose the case or not, at the end of it all, there's something democracy will have gained. There's a can- something the country will have gained. And this is how we must see the struggle of one Raila Molodinga. The 2022 presidential petition at the Supreme Court marks yet another critical chapter in Kenya's history of poll petitions. Analysts say, regardless of the court's decision, Kenyans are the winners in the long run. Juma Majanga for VOA News, Nairobi. This is a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. Hello, I'm VOA health correspondent Linor Modul. The World Health Organization and Africa Centers for Disease Control say we all can help fight the global pandemic by frequently washing our hands or using hand sanitizers. For more information on protecting yourself and others, check with reliable sources such as the WHO and Africa CDC. And remember to listen to VOA for the latest on COVID-19. That was a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. South Sudan in focus is now on WhatsApp. Send us a message on plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. Tell us what's happening in your area or give us your feedback on the stories you hear on South Sudan in focus. We look forward to hearing from you on WhatsApp. That number again, plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. That's all we prepared for you this Wednesday. We now leave you with the song, Susanna.
song Susanna. I'm your host, John Tanza in Washington. Thanks for sparing time to be with us this evening. Join us again tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. I'm not